This is the story of the three little pigs. I will build my house right here in this field. This little pig did not like to work hard. So he built a house out of straw that he found nearby. I will build my house here in the forest. He gathered some sticks and he built a house out of wood. I will build my house here at the top of this hill. It took him all day and all night, and he did not have the time to take a nap or to play. But when he was done, he had built himself a fine, sturdy house built out of bricks. And so the three little pigs each had a home of their own. But the very next day, a big bad wolf ventured down the lane. Soon he came to a strange little house made out of straw. The big bad wolf was quite hungry. He growled. I smell a little pig inside. That would make a fine meal. So he knocked on the door of the straw house and said, "Little pig, little pig, let me in." No, no, I won't let you in. Not by the hairs on my chinny chin chin. The wolf could see that the straw house was quite flimsy, so he bared his teeth and shouted. Then I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your house in. The big bad wolf took a very deep breath and then. You know, stopping before a story ends is a bummer, isn't it? Now, again, every one of you probably know the story. You probably told the story. There wasn't any surprises in that. But just to find out that this big bad wolf takes a big breath and we don't know what happens. You know, we started our study in the book of Acts on January 10th of this year. This is message 31. Now, one reason we spent so much time in the book of Acts is to understand God's plan for the church, for us, and to give us hope for the days to come. I want to welcome you, each one of you who have joined us for this finale. But as you're going to see, at the end of this chapter, Acts has an odd ending. The last half of Acts focuses on Paul, who was sent to proclaim the gospel and to plant churches in a godless, immoral, hedonistic culture. Well, just like ours. Life really got complicated for Paul in his latter years, as it often does for us as life moves on. Last week, Paul modeled for us how to enjoy a shipwreck. And most of us do not enjoy shipwrecks. Now Paul, an older man, arrives in Rome. Oh, he's been waiting a long time for this. We're going to open up the scriptures in a moment, but let me pray first. Father, We come before you because we know we need you today. We know that you are present. We know that you speak to us. We know that you bring inspiration and that you bring conviction. 
And Father, there's so many of us that need to hear from you today. Oh God, you are the fountain of all good. Destroy in me, destroy in us every lofty thought. Break pride to pieces and shatter it to the winds, Father. Annihilate each clinging shred of self-righteousness. Implant in me, in us, the lowliness of spirit so that my heart will be prepared for the dwelling of my God. Then can the Father take up residence in me. Then can blessed Jesus, his Son, come with healing in his touch. Then can the Holy Spirit descend in sanctifying grace. We pray, dear God, that you would move. We pray, dear God, that you would act. We pray that you would come in power. Lord, we pray for all those who are here, all those who will be listening online. We pray, Father, for those workers and those servants who are in our lower level, teaching and serving our families. We pray that God's word would be powerful and that it would change everyone who hears it. Lord, we pray for other churches in our area, all those who surround us, but in particular, we pray, Father, for Meadowland and for Grace Point and for Wonder Lake. We ask you, dear God, that you would work in those congregations, that they would be salt and light, and that you would be transformational. Lord, we pray for our world. We've been focusing on our world, and we've been crying out to you as injustice seems to reign. We pray, Father, for a country who is so divided and so much in a place, Lord, where they're confused and chaotic. Lord, so many people are not listening to you. So many people are not responding to you. Lord, we pray for that church your plan. We pray for this church, Lord, that you would raise up people to equip and to represent you well in all the neighborhoods that we had go. Lord, we thank you for your word. And, and even as we open up Acts right now, Lord, it's been a book that's been so amazing. May we be able to understand these last 21 verses. Would you use it, Lord, to give us wings, to bring conviction, and to allow us to have a clear mission and vision of what you have for each one of us. We thank you, Father, for the worship. We thank you for the song for the words. We thank you this day, Lord, that we were reminded of your precious death and what you did to redeem us and to give us life. God, these things can get so old so quickly, especially those who have grown up in the church. We pray, Lord, that you would give us fresh perspective. God, you are amazing. You are powerful. 
God, you reign. And we pray this all in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Our story is found in the last 21 verses of Acts. So you can open up your Bible to Acts chapter 28. Let me just remind you, though, before we get there, is that it's been three months on Malta, an island that the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked on. They were trying to get to Rome, but as it was, the ship went down. Paul and all 275 others made it to the island safely and stayed there for three months. Now, we don't know a lot of what happened there. But there must have made, it, or Paul must have made some kind of an impact because when they board the ship to eventually go to Rome three months after crashing on the shores, the scriptures tell us that they were well stocked. The people around just gave them gifts. And let me remind you that life didn't go as planned. Once again, we sometimes have this image that if you really are godly or if you walk with God and if you listen to God in every aspect, that, that life will be just rosy. Well, sometimes it is. But it certainly hasn't been with the Apostle Paul. So they finally get on this ship and there are two stops before they land in Italy at Putelli. That is a good name for an Italian city, isn't it? Putelli. All right, that's probably not how you say it, but it sounded good. He spent a week with believers before his journey to Rome. The road from Putelli to Rome was about a five-day walk on two well-traveled Roman roads. Let's look. Chapter 28 starting just at verse 15. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard that we were coming, and they came to meet us at the Forum on the Appian Way. Others joined us at the three taverns. When Paul saw them, he was encouraged and thanked God. Rome. Rome got word that Paul was coming. This was quite a ways from where Rome had, or, or where Paul had major influence. But some believers set out to meet Paul on the way. They met him at the forum, and they met him at three, three taverns. The forum was about 43 miles from Rome. Three taverns was a little bit closer, about 33 miles. Again, we don't have any idea what was spoken to Paul, but can you imagine after this long journey, after getting so very, very close to Rome, just before he gets there, hoping to see Caesar quickly, these believers show up. They probably brought food. They probably brought gifts. I'm sure there had to be hugs. It was an amazing time of fellowship because all we know is that Paul was encouraged and he thanked God for these believers. What a breath of fresh air. 
Now, now let me put this in perspective. It's been almost 30 months since Paul was given the divine assurance that he would leave Jerusalem and end up in Rome. 30 months. Wow, some of us get a little upset if we wait 30 minutes. God, I thought, 30 months. Paul arrives in Rome, and once he does, he's assigned a guard and put under house arrest. He sends for the local Jewish leaders. In other words, he had this residence... A guard was outside his door, but the scriptures tell us within three days, he sent the word out to the Jewish leaders. Hey, come on, I want to talk to you. So let's read Acts chapter 28, starting at verse 20. Paul says this, I asked you to come here today, leaders, so we could get acquainted. And so I could explain to you that I'm bound with these chains because I believe that the, I believe that the hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. They replied, we have no letters from Judea or reports against you from anyone who has come here, but we want to hear what you believe. For the only thing we know about this movement is that it is denounced everywhere. So the time was set, and on that day a large number of people came to Paul's lodging. He explained and testified about the kingdom of God and tried to persuade them about Jesus from the scriptures. Using the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, he spoke to them from morning to evening. Some were persuaded by the things he said, and others did not believe. So the Jewish leaders all come. They've maybe heard a little bit about Paul. They heard a little bit of his impact. But they had an interesting bent on Christianity at that moment. They said, hey, we've heard about this Christian movement, but all we know is that everywhere it goes, it's being denounced. The word there means publicly declared to be wrong or evil. That's not the picture we've had. We have seen the gospel spread into, well, way past Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, into the uttermost parts of the world. Everywhere the gospel was going, it was transforming lives. Churches were popping up everywhere. Yes, they were being persecuted. Yes, there were tough times ahead. But God was moving. The perspective of a Jewish leader Ah, yeah, we, we've heard about it. It doesn't really make much of an impact. Can you imagine Paul right here at this time hearing this? Do, do you think maybe his, his blood started boiling? Do you think, what? What are you? Come on. Let me tell you. They should never have started out like that. That's all I'm saying. But Paul's message to the local Jewish leaders he began from morning to evening explaining the kingdom, testifying about the kingdom, and trying to persuade them about Jesus. 
Now, some of you might be even newer to the faith, but you hear the word kingdom, you hear the word Messiah, and sometimes it gets a little bit confusing. But, but just to remind you, from the very beginning, ever since Jesus put his ministry feet forward, the scriptures tell us that Jesus proclaimed the kingdom from the start. Because every Jew, <laughs> the promised Messiah was a big deal. Establishing the kingdom, bringing back the Israel nation, back to power and authority. This was a big deal. So in Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 14, this is right in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Mark writes this, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. And this was the good news. The, the time promised by God has come at last. He announced the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. There was a misunderstanding about the kingdom, especially in the Jewish mentality. The king had arrived according to God, and his reign had begun. In other words, the Messiah was here, the long-awaited Messiah, the person they were hoping would come and restore order and peace. And what Jesus was literally saying was, you know what? Excuse me, Paul was saying, Jesus came. It is not about a political king who focused on safety and earthly comforts. That's what most of the Jews wanted. King Jesus came and has given us a taste of what living in God's kingdom feels like in spite of being in a broken world. You, have may, you may have heard the term already where we describe this kingdom movement of already but not yet. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom was here and gave us some tastes of the kingdom. But ultimately, anyone, everyone who is part of God's family will enjoy truly the kingdom when we come to eternity and meet Jesus himself. Jesus spent much of his time while he was on earth talking about the kingdom, explaining and correcting the Hebrews' poor thinking about the kingdom. Jesus literally described what living under God's reign would look like, under his reign, under his rule. He said this, he said, under my rule, the humble will be honored. Well, that took most people by surprise. You mean not the arrogant, not the powerful? Not, no. In my kingdom, the humble will be honored. In my kingdom, forgiveness will flow freely. Well, wait a minute. I, I, I'm not going to really... Uh, no, in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, generosity will be natural, not selfishness. In God's kingdom, leaders are servants. In God's kingdom, he will meet your needs. In God's kingdom, love will be displayed. 
Jesus illustrated for us what the kingdom will look like while he was here on the planet. Jesus healed because in his kingdom, ultimately, there will be no sickness. Jesus fed because in his kingdom, ultimately, there will be no hunger. Jesus cast out demons because in his kingdom, ultimately, Satan will have no influence and be totally defeated. Jesus raised folks from the dead because in his kingdom, death will be abolished. So the good news that Jesus was saying and the good news that Paul was proclaiming is that the kingdom is here and in due time will be totally realized. That was good news to a land that was filled with corruption and evil and disease and discouragement. The scriptures tell us that Paul testified. What does that mean? Basically, all the way through, you will see, especially in the book of Acts, Paul testified of the difference that Jesus made in his life. He told his story on the way to Damascus over and over and over and over again. He wanted, he wanted everybody to know that he was dead and is now alive. That he didn't have a purpose, but now has a purpose. That Jesus changed everything in his life. Paul met Jesus and life was different. Living under God's rule changes the way we live. The way we spend our time and our talents and our treasures. Faith in Christ's work justifies you and justifies me. It frees me from the penalty of sin. But obedience or submission to Jesus the King frees you from the power of sin and changes how we live. This is the church. The community that lives the life of the future in the present. Let me say that again. Those who walk with God, those who are submitting to God, those who are listening to God, they are living a present life, a life that will be when Christ returns and his reign is established forever and ever and ever. But we get a little taste of that now. We treat others the way Jesus treated others. Because the more time we spend with our, our Lord, the more time he chips away the things that don't reflect him or mirror him well. Followers of Jesus are called to live in, in a now, in a new, in a different way. So that one day, everyone will live that way for the rest of time. Now granted, we all don't walk with God. And there are times when we don't forgive and we don't love and we don't, well, you fill in the blank. And there are times then that the church has a bad reputation or a group of people have a bad reputation. But this is God's plan. Walk with me. Be light in a dark world. And this was Paul's testimony. 
It was the most powerful testimony because anybody that knew Paul before he met Jesus and knew Paul after he met Jesus, that was quite the different character. He also says in this part that he persuaded, he worked hard to let them know the king had arrived and that Jesus was the king. Now what's so unique is that Paul used the Old Testament scriptures The Old Testament scriptures that were filled with prophecy and hope about the coming Messiah and what his reign would look like. One of my friends gave me a book. Some of you who listen to Moody perhaps have even heard about this book. But this is quite an amazing book written by Dr. Michael Radilnak. All right. And All I'm saying is this. There are 1,336 pages in this book. It is probably not for bedtime reading. But what happens? Dr. Radilnak goes all the way through the Old Testament scriptures and reveals to us who are not as, well, sharp as he is or understand the Hebrew language, or understand the culture, and points people to who the Messiah is. It is amazing. It was the same thing that Jesus did when he was walking on the road to Emmaus. And he had some folks who were wondering about Jesus and and the resurrection, and, and he began to share Jesus himself with these folks All the passages that pointed to Jesus rising from the dead and being Messiah. How exciting is this? So Paul, I don't know if he went through all 1,336 pages. I don't. But it it would have been kind of fun to, to sit underneath his teaching. All right? And Paul just says this. He used the Old Testament scriptures filled with promises to these Jewish leaders who were, well, they understood the Old Testament well. You would think after that kind of teaching and persuasion that there would have been a great revival. But there wasn't. Paul said over and over and over again that Christ's sacrificial death makes it possible for us to have a relationship Jesus himself talked to Nicodemus, a very religious leader, and said, unless you're born again, you will never experience the kingdom. You won't understand all there is in the kingdom. But I want you to know this, is that you can put your faith in the king of kings. He is here. He has come And he will make a difference in your life like he's made a difference in my life. And so Paul explained and testified and persuaded from morning to evening. Let's see what happens. In chapter 28, starting in verse 25. And after they had argued back and forth among themselves, they left with this final word from Paul. The Holy Spirit was right when he said to your ancestors through Isaiah the prophet, go and say to these people, 
When you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of those people are hardened, and their ears cannot hear, and they have closed their eyes so that their eyes cannot see, and their ears cannot hear, and their hearts cannot understand. And they, as a result, cannot turn to me and let me heal them. So I want you to know, Paul says, that this salvation from God has also been offered to the Gentiles and they will accept it. <laughs> the results is almost exactly the same thing that happens today. Some people respond and some people don't. Let me remind you that hearing the word of God always has an effect on people. The same sun that melts ice also hardens clay. Either people are melted and moved when they hear the word, or they reject him and become increasingly hard-hearted toward our Lord. You see, no one can listen to the gospel and remain neutral to it. That's why we must fully warn unbelievers that they must respond positively to God's word or the Lord may give them what they want, eternal separation from him and his grace. At first, this may seem really harsh. Paul, I, I thought you were supposed to be drawing these people. You just spent day and night just trying to encourage them to well, open their hearts to the Messiah who's here. But actually, I think Paul's response is loving. He does quote in Isaiah chapter 6. When Isaiah is struggling with a group of people that are not responding. Oh. So Paul really just says, if, if you, who just listened to my message, would actually act on what you heard and understand, then you would repent and you would be healed. But apparently most of them didn't. And so Paul's response is this, you had your chance. I'm not going to spend time here anymore. I've poured my heart out to you. You have chosen not to receive this truth or repent of your sins or acknowledge your need for the Messiah. I'm going to go to a place where they will respond. Oh, that's hard. That's hard. Look at verse 30 of chapter 28. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. And no one tried to stop him. That's the end. Uh, Dr. Luke says this, for two years he was under house arrest. He was restricted, but he didn't see himself restricted. 
He welcomed all who visited him. He boldly proclaimed about the kingdom, which we just talked about. And he taught about Jesus, the Messiah. Now let me put this a little bit in perspective because so many of you know other parts of the New Testament. But it was at this time that Paul wrote some other letters to churches. They were called the prison epistles. So it was this time during this two-year period where he was under house arrest, given much freedom other than he couldn't leave. And he wrote Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and Philemon. We don't know much more. We know at least one person came to faith with all of his teaching and all of his encouragement. At least one did, and his name was Onesimus. And you remember that. He was the runaway slave of Philemon. And it was at this time that somehow they connected. Somehow Onesimus came to faith. And somehow he became a kingdom patriot. We do learn of Paul's state of mind, though, in ministry through these letters. In fact, what I'd like to just say is this. You talk about blooming where you are planted. Oh, my word. Turn your Bibles, if you would, or you can, again, um, just listen. But turn over to Colossians. Colossians chapter 4. I'm just going to read a few verses, starting at, chapter, or, or at verse 2, going through verse 6. But this is Paul in this situation, and this is his advice. He's writing to a church. It says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Now, again, you could just read this. If, if things are going well for you, got all your bills paid, all your kids are healthy, your job is terrific, hey, this is great advice. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and be thankful. This is not Paul's situation here. He goes, you know what I've learned? I've learned that prayer is really critical. And he says, I, I just want to remind you, when you pray, be alert and be thankful. And then look what he says. He is in prison. But this is what he's saying. Pray for us too that God will give us many opportunities to speak his mysterious plan concerning Christ. Are you kidding me? He is still asking the church to do this. He's not bitter. He's not angry. He's not, hey, God, I'm, I'm like, you know, a pretty important guy in this kingdom. Why am I sitting in this house? He didn't see it that way. He said, God, you put me here. God, I'm going to have some opportunities. But you know what? I bet there were times he got discouraged. And so he's talking to the Colossians and, and just asking, hey, you guys devote yourself to prayer, but let me remind you, hey, pray for more opportunities for me. Pray for more opportunities for me as I'm in prison, as I'm in this house. He's not using it as an excuse. He's not seeing it as something that, well, this is an obstacle too big. I, I mean, I can only be in this house. I might as well just sit here. And then he says, this is why I'm in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. 
Then he says this, live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. Folks, one thing we do know about this is there was a guard outside. Maybe there were others around, maybe others visited him, but he had one, I guess, person who was there all the time. A guard. A Roman guard. Probably a calloused Roman guard. And this is what he's saying to the church at Colossae. But also him practicing this. He goes, hey, I want you to live wisely and I want you to take advantage of every opportunity you have when there's unbelievers out there. Just so you know, there's a guy out my door. And, and he doesn't really speak very kindly. He's kind of rough around the edges. He's a soldier. But I'm going to make the most out of every opportunity. And my conversation is going to be gracious and attractive. I want this soldier or anybody else that I have contact with to know about my Jesus. Go over to Philippians. He's in jail. Same thing. And this will put things a little bit more in perspective where we use restrictions as something saying, oh, you know what, I really can't share the gospel. You know what, ministry is going to look a little bit different. Oh, this whole COVID thing or this mandate thing or this situation. You know what, I I have all these restrictions. Well, Paul had more than we did. Listen to what Paul writes to the Philippian church. All right, starting at verse... It should be, yeah, 12. Okay, thank you. 12. And this is what he says. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly spoken God's message without fear. Jump down to verse 20. For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. I I mean, doesn't this get you excited? Paul is not using any excuses. We know for sure he's only got one person, but apparently they just keep going through. Who's got Paul's shift today? I do. Okay. Who's got Paul's shift tomorrow? I Okay. Oh, Paul did. Well, share the hope he had and ask these churches, would you pray for me? Would you get me some opportunity? Would you help me speak words that are kind and gracious, alluring to all of these soldiers and whoever else comes. (laughs) It got me pretty excited. Instead of excuses, opportunities. Now, as we close up this book, there are a few things that stick out to me, especially the last, in these last 21 verses of Acts. First of all, As you can see on the screen, Paul made the most of every opportunity. I think I've learned a lot about this. 
instead of feeling sorry or instead of excuses or instead of having a pity party. Paul literally knew his God was in charge. He was king. And that whatever happened to him, he had an opportunity to make a kingdom difference. Secondly, Paul unashamedly taught people about King Jesus from dawn to dusk. He just wanted people to understand how wonderful, how gracious, how loving his Savior was and what a relationship meant and how it changed his life. I love this next point. Pour yourself out for the king until you see the king. Pour yourself out for the king. You will never, ever regret investing. You're tired at times. I get it. But meeting with that small group, investing in a group of uh, fifth-grade boys, going on this retreat so that you might serve God on a mission trip, how cool would that be? And Paul also gave us an example his normal thing. He would welcome people, he would proclaim, and he would teach. He wants people to just know his Savior. You know, this is the story that never ends. It's unfinished. Maybe even now you're getting, well, the reason I called this series Unfinished. You know, if you're a kind of person who enjoys complete closure and prefer happily happily ever after conclusions, then you might be disappointed with the ending of Acts because we really don't know what happened. These are the same people who was bothered that we stopped the Three Pigs video, okay? But Luke has taken us on quite a journey. His writing has been remarkable, but his ending is surprising and a little bit frustrating. Acts simply closes without telling us what happened to Paul. Now tradition, and and I don't know how much we can trust this, but, but the tradition says that Paul experienced a short reprieve after his trial with Caesar. It was during this time he wrote 2 Timothy, the last book that we have from Paul, the last letter. And then the great persecution of Nero rose and Paul supposedly was beheaded at age 67. Acts essentially ends on a big to-be-continued. Why? Because I don't think Luke intended to write a biography of Peter or a biography of Paul. I think Luke proposed to describe God's plan. And his plan was the gospel and the church. Do you see? This is getting exciting. Luke tells us that the gospel... I'm sorry. Luke tells us in his gospel, in the gospel called Luke, that Jesus began to do and to think, excuse me, Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up. The book of Acts then is all about Jesus continuing to do 
through the church. The ministry of Jesus continued by the Spirit through the church. Luke's message ends up something like this. This book is finished, but the mission Jesus assigned to the church isn't. Until we see the king and enjoy his perfect kingdom, let's follow Paul's model of pouring ourselves out to service to the king. Keep running the race because when you see Jesus with your own eyes, you won't regret having served him faithfully until your dying breath. Christians will soon be in the presence of the glorified king. And we will be forever enjoying his ultimate kingdom role and praising and honoring our king. But until that time, God's plan is the gospel which changes lives and the church that represents God wherever you go. God's mission is unfinished. Sharing good news and making disciples and encouraging others on the way. Our mission will continue until Jesus comes. And once he comes, we're done. May we understand the privilege and the honor. May we be inspired and convicted. May we walk with God. May we recognize that God's ultimate plan is you and me. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how young you are. I don't care what disabilities you have. I don't care what abilities you have. I don't know where you live. I don't know where you work. I don't know who your neighbor is. I don't know if you're going to spend some time in the hospital today or at a ball game. I don't know any of those things, but I know this. Our God is sovereign. Our God is able to use his church in a way to transform and to proclaim and to encourage. Oh, would we have that boldness? Would you read the book of Acts? Recognize the book of Acts and, and know how much confidence God has in his church. You know, we sang a song just a little bit earlier. In our worship, it was a newer song and Brendan just introduced it to us. But do you remember some of those words? The gospel of Jesus is the hope of the ages. And nothing, nothing can stop his church, which is a light in the darkness. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you. We thank you for the privilege. We thank you for this honor. We thank you, dear God, for your plan. It doesn't make sense to us. We are frail. We are fragile. We have excuses. Any kind of challenge seems to hamstring us. We get tired. We get 
perturbed. Your death sometimes waxes and wanes in our mind. The transformation in our life isn't often as much as we had hoped. Oh God, would we walk with you? Would we recognize the privilege that each of us have that are part of your family? Give us boldness as Paul prayed. Would we use every situation, make every opportunity that you give us count? Would we share people about how you've changed our lives and that we have an unbelievable hope forever and ever and ever? Lord, impress in our hearts that those people that don't have Jesus will be separated from him forever. There will be people like the Jewish leaders that chose not to be healed. Oh God, use us to bring this message and may you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.